A That's Not Gun in Productions podcast. Dark Satellite Media. to the cinema salon this is episode number five now uh with me today yes it's another gimmick gang member um and an og gimmick gang member at that and he is a bit of a authority well i don't know if he'd call himself an authority but he's certainly very passionate about the type of movie that we are discussing today and it is 1980s shogun assassin i'm sure a lot of you out there have heard of it before um it's a beloved film it's an influential film and so i brought chad in no one else better to discuss this film with me uh being a passionate fan of the kung fu genre in general uh and we'll go into the specifics but um chad uh please introduce yourself tell me how you pronounce your last name and where also people can follow you up on social media if you wish to be if you wish to be followed after you sure Thanks, Gene. Yeah, uh, the last name is Giroux or Giroux. It's French. Thank you. So uh, that's that's that. But um, as far as my handles go, I'm at Instagram at uh, Cult of Analog and at uh, Twitter at Papa Chubby. And um, yeah, that's about my handles. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry so uh, i live in toronto in canada and uh yeah of course we met through gimmick gang you and i and um i think that's pretty much it about me i mean i'm just a normal working guy i love i love kung fu movies i love basically asian action is is what it comes down to you know it's like it envelops it just envelops samurai um what like korean movies now which is a whole genre in itself there's uh, all, all those Asian countries uh, have their own kind of style of cinema, but it mm-hmm. mostly comes down to act a lot of action based uh, movies. So, uh, but Kung Fu, yeah, it's the center of all of that, right? For me, anyway, for me. I would say that certainly historically it's the center of it. And I'm not that knowledgeable. I'm a little uh, resistant towards it as I am to a lot of old films, but that's one of the reasons why I do the podcast to bring in guests who are passionate and knowledgeable about it. So I can school myself as well as the CNEs out there listening and viewing. Um, uh, Hey Gene. Yeah. So it's, that's interesting. Like you said, old films, but like I, I view you as like a, a film aficionado, and and when I my my impression of somebody who loves film is they love old movies, you know. Sure. Um, now, so when you say old, like what what do you mean by that? Like like what's old for you? Like black and white? Like at what point does movies get like unwatchable? I guess 
or whatever you would consider old. Like to me, you know, there's all these classic movies uh, mm-hmm. that are black and white mm-hmm. um, that I, I, I don't know. Like I know the names and whatnot, but I've never watched them or anything. So what, tell me a little, little bit about that for yourself. Okay, certainly. Yeah, well, let's yeah, let's jump into it. Definitely, um, aficionado. No, I'm not an aficionado. I'm a student of. Um, I probably studied a bit more than a lot of people. You know, I'm a I'm a film head. I'm a cinephile, certainly, um, and I appreciate and respect and like to learn about the historical importance of certain films. But I'm very specific to genres as well. The certain genres that I like mark for, of course, this horror, as you know. Um, and I like art house films. Uh, I quite enjoy some cult and indie films. Um, but I am always, I also do have a penchant for high production values. And I feel as the technology of film has advanced, the production values has advanced. Substance is another argument. I do react to pretty pictures on the screen though i can be i have quite a simplistic approach as well in that way um you know i do like heady intellectual films of course um, but if the production values aren't there if the pretty pictures aren't there i do have a problem watching them i do have a problem connecting with them i can watch them and i have had to through university and such things absolutely um, but if the pretty pictures aren't there, the production values aren't there, I, there is a bit of a disconnect for me uh, with the film, from the film. But with the old films, though, but if the atmosphere is there, uh, that can pull me in. For example, I really like uh, German expressionist films, German expressionism. Uh, we are talking uh, Nosferatu, the cabinet of Dr. Oh, Caligari yeah. and such things. And that's very old. Yeah, this is yeah. like 1920s, 1930s, if not before. Um, hey, Gene, is, yeah. is that, um, is, is Metropolis part of that? That is Metropolis, yes. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. Metropolis. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That's the uh, big budget uh, version of big bu- budgets because um, they, they basically created their own studio, the Germans at that time, and that was their flagship film for that studio. Uh, the name of it, uh, I can't quite remember at the moment, but that is the big flagship. That's their uh, their shining example to the rest of the world, or well, certainly to Hollywood to say, we don't need you to make a spectacle of the size and magnitude, Yeah. Well, um, it, 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 sorry, but it's, on that point, you know, it's interesting you say that because I feel like uh, in Japan in this in the 60s it, with samurai film with really the, the 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 start of samurai film where, where there was, a, you know, you could say a golden age where it's all now classic movies. And it started in that premise where it was all done in Japan, but 
the epic scale of some of these movies is on the level of uh, like Lord of the Rings, you know, in terms of uh, battle scenes with like, you know, just hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of uh, extras and, and, and detail with costumes and, you know, mm -hmm. um, stuff that um, we take for granted to look at it now, but back mm -hmm. then would have been oh, yeah. a huge scale, you know, to, to, to pull that off. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I, uh, that and Hong Kong with uh, their kung fu, I think they they always kind of thumb their nose at Hollywood too. You know, um, they wanted to do it their own way, basically culturally speaking. You know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think a big one that we could talk about in terms of grand scale, like directors who would put on productions of a grand scale, like Akira Kurosawa, is an obvious example. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Uh, yeah, and he went on to inf uh, influence basically George Lucas. Without him, there would be no Star Wars. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think from from a film point of view, uh, for for you know directors and people that are uh, like yourself, even you know, influenced by film. Uh, yeah, those movies. Uh, there's there's so many classic movies like, um, and and there's a few directors, but Kurosawa definitely stands out. But I mean, movies. Um, uh, Seven Samurai, uh, Sword of Doom, Ran. Um, mm -hmm. I could name off a bunch, but yeah, I mean, and and be honest with you, they're great. They're watch they're watchable today. Where I find a lot of older movies, uh, black and white, like you know, you you know you're supposed to watch them and like them, but they are hard to get through. Some some older flicks that are black and white, and I, I don't know. I'm just being honest for me anyway. But I, mm -hmm. I personally find those movies um, are, are, are totally watchable. I mean, I, I sit and enjoy them and I'm not, I'm not aware or thinking to myself like, oh, brother, you know, look at look how old this looks or the storyline or the way that they're portraying the roles. It seems sure. dated. None, none sure. of that with um, with the Japanese cinema for me anyway. Okay, I understand. I understand. So it's a matter of uh, personal preference as well, what you mark out to as well. Like, um, I don't enjoy 1950s and such uh, westerns whatsoever. But a lot of those are very important films in film history, absolutely. And you could say the scale, uh, what they achieved at their time, during their time, is very notable as well but i just can't do it <laughs> i just can't connect with it so i think it is a matter of what you connect to um also i think going back to why i'm basically a little resistant towards the old kung fu movies because i do like the newest stuff you know what i mean yeah um uh takishi uh, like I've seen the remake of uh, Zatoichi. yeah absolutely fantastic yeah. kill bill i adore um uh what gene yeah. what about um crouching tiger hidden dragon yeah Did of course of course yes it's absolutely beautiful in terms of art house Great cinema movie. that's a shining example definitely and that's um art house marrying with kung fu yeah um but i have had i do like action films let's just talk about action and as a as the overall umbrella here i do like action films but when it in the, in the past, I'm coming around to it because I can see the choreography and the dance of it all. I noticed that one rewatching Kill Bill and the House of Leaves battle. So this is like ballet. This is a dance. This is a choreographed dance. This is could match modern musicals for the dance routines they put on today. You know what I mean? Um, and I 
want to go back towards the old kung fu movie i want to go to the old kung fu movies to explore that choreography that sense of dance to the action because in the past it has bored me because there's been nothing but the fight scenes and i found it flatlined because it got away from character um and i was just watching something that just repeated itself and repetition in film i have a great deal a hard time dealing with that's why i've had problems with huge elongated fight scenes in the past and things like musicals and such because it's the repetition yeah there's too much of it um but i beginning to understand the dance aspect of it of it all to uh the old kung fu movies through seeing it through a more modern lens like things like the zatoichi remake and kill bill if that makes sense well yeah and and i feel like um those movies that you name the the big thing the thread between them all in my mind is a great story you know Mm -hmm. it's those are not conventional stories being told in any mm-hmm. of those so zatuichi uh, i mean certainly kill bill um even crouching tiger hidden dragon i mean you've got these uh, amazing characters that you identify with and unconventional story and in some cases uh storytelling you know yeah and that for me um it comes off the screen fresh right so mm-hmm. when when you go to the old school kung fu the, the kung fu that most people think about from the 70s you know uh, the poor dubbing, you know, the guys, the guys, uh, they, they, they jump out of a tree and the, the scenes reverse to make it look like they're jumping yeah. into the tree. And, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Yeah. all that, all that like stuff that, uh, you know, cliche stuff about old Kung Fu. And, and a lot of it is cliche and there's a good percentage of it. That's uh, I can understand why it's hard to watch nowadays. Um, but the classic movies from that era, they definitely stand up. But for a lot of people, yeah, it's 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 not it's not going to be watchable now. The modern stuff. So kung fu, it went through um, it went from that, and then through I would say the '90s, things started to develop and get better. Obviously with uh, technology, but mm-hmm. um, that was they have a period called wire fu. Are you familiar with that? No. Okay. I get what so, you're saying, though. I think carry on. Yeah, I mean, there's basically a good 10-year period there where they start using wires to start, you know, doing the the big tricks, right? So the big, you know, where they can jump onto a rooftop or where they can float around and perform lots of kicks. You know, all all that mystical kind of aspect of uh, Kung Fu. But, um, you know, I would say 25% of that stuff if you know, if you look in some scenes, you can see the wire, or yeah, you know, sure. like it just doesn't come off the screen very true. A lot of it, um, but the better movies from that era, and there are a lot. Um, like one of my favorites is called Tai Chi Master. It's got a Jet Li movie. Okay. And um, yeah, um, Michelle Yeoh actually is in it too. Oh, okay, uh, it's nice. A great, yeah, it's a great movie. Great movie. But a, a good example of wire foo. And, and a few scenes in that movie, you, if you look, you can, I don't want to say you could see the wire, but you can tell they're using wires, you know what I mean? Um, but they had the, the emerging technology at that time to kind of cover it up, you know, mm-hmm. to, to edit it and make it look right. Um, yeah. So once you get out of the wire foo era to the 2000s, to, to the Matrix era, you know, yeah. Crouching Tiger. Blades. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, forget about it. You know, now, now um, you have something that looks so real and sophisticated and they, they can, they can do now everything they intended or wanted to do. They can make it look perfect now. So I feel like the modern, the modern movies have that appeal now to anyone that likes a good action movie. I feel you know, I mean, you got to get your head around the fact. I, I, one thing that bugs me with people with Kung Fu, like I, I, I get usually usual detractions from, of Kung Fu I get. But what bugs me is when people are like, oh, it's so ridiculous that he can jump on a roof or, he, he, you know, like he's able to uh, do all these flips or, you know, like basically that fantastic element of Kung mm. Fu, you know, and, and, and that's what it's supposed to be. It's a fantastic yeah. element. It's it's uh it does have that fantasy aspect to it. The idea that once your kung fu is that powerful, it it uh, awards you, you know, uh, ultra you know superhuman uh, skill power. It's great. It's fun. It's fun, man. I love it. Yeah. That's that's the thing I love about it the most. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but but you know, how many different types of genres of film do you have to kind of like let yourself go a little bit and accept what you're seeing? You know, like the Hobbit is a talking dragon. Yeah. You know, like it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. You know, it's it's part of uh, the, the fantasy. It's part of part of the movie. Anyway, sorry, I'm rambling no, on about it. No, no, no. I com- couldn't agree with you more. Like, um, it's yeah. called a suspension of disbelief. It is called fantasy as well. Um, you know, like I don't know if we live so much through our screens nowadays that everything we have to see on our screen represents the reality on the other side. No, that's not the point. <laughs> it is called a suspension of disbelief, fiction. You know, that's a fun, as you say. Um, stop expecting reality to be on the screen because you live your reality through screens nowadays. Keep the division in your mind. You know, that's important psychologically. But that's a whole other discussion. That's a whole other discussion, absolutely. Um, but ma- making very good points points though do you think just curious about your opinion on this with the uh, the uh, advancements of technology more and more emerging technologies coming out every week let alone every generation nowadays um and everything uh choreography wise fight wise becoming more polished um are they losing some of the substance of say the character in the story because of it I would say that the the storytelling, the characters, that that aspect, you know, um, I mean, look, it, it, there will still be dud movies coming mm. out of that uh, mm. that world. Okay, let's be fair. But for the ones that are are on top, you know, that are the better ones, um, okay. I would say characters and storytelling in that aspect. It is as, as good as it's ever been. Yeah, okay, but cool. I know I know what you're saying, and I would say that uh, there's a lot of kung fu fans who don't like the direction that uh, the fighting is going in. They don't yeah. want to see CGI. They don't want right. to see um, like they want to see a little bit of that, but they don't like when it gets too unrealistic. Now, when you go back to the old school kung fu, you think of a typical kung fu movie. When you put the movie on, okay. Uh, you might get a little opening scene and when they go to the credits, almost every Kung Fu movie, you've got the credits rolling while there's a guy in the background performing moves, you know, he's he's doing moves Um, like 36 chambers. um, That that's the the classic uh, opening during the opening credits. Like 
you know, it's got Gordon Liu uh, with the rings on his hands, you know, doing all the moves. And those are what they call, some guys call them shapes. Some guys call them mm-hmm. forms. Okay. Um, and and now that's, those are like the classic real Kung Fu movements. And, you know, for, for the purists and the guys that are really coming out of the martial arts aspect of the movies, they want to see that. You know, they, they don't want the movies to lose too much of that. So, it, you know, it really depends where you're coming from. I, I think yes. there's a good, there's a good uh, portion of the genre that's moved towards more, more fantastical, more kind of effects driven. And then mm-hmm. there's also uh, a, a good percentage of movies that uh, kind of keep it uh, tame. They keep it kind of more okay. based in reality, okay. if you want to yeah. yeah. say that. Um, so I, I think I like where everything's at right now. I think that they put out movies for everyone's taste. And, and, mm-hmm. and on that point, I'll say too, that um, I think we've been talking about Japan, you know, Hong Kong, but I think Korea deserves a, a, a shout out here because yeah. the last 10 or 15 years, um, Korean cinema, as far as action and everything yeah. goes, they've been putting out amazing movies. You know, I bet you, I bet you the last two years, about 50% of the movies that I buy are Korean. They're Korean. Yeah. They're great, man. Yeah. That uh, jo- Joseon, that Joseon era, you know, that's their, that's their traditional uh, era, you know, um, okay. where you've got, where you've got the, you know, what, what you come to see as the old school uh, look of a movie, you know, they've got their, they've got their version of that too, man. And it's great. And, uh, and it includes the Korean struggles uh, of history, you know, where they were at war with the Japanese or, you know, so a lot of their films will deal with those type of, you'll have those type of situations, you know, guys are in a fortress, Japanese are coming to invade, mm-hmm. they have to fight mm-hmm. them off, that whole type of thing. Uh, but the great movies, great movies coming out of Korea. Anyways, Excellent. sorry, man, I'm, I'm kind of going off topic on you. No, but, no, uh, no, no, it's great. We're laying yeah, great groundwork, yeah. definitely. Um, and I'll also yes. throw in just quickly without deep diving, Korean horror and also their revenge films. Korean revenge films is something to behold. Uh, we've covered I Saw the Devil on here. Uh, Old Boy is just phenomenal, and we will be looking at that at some point in the uh, future there, Sinise, definitely. Koreans know how to make film, and they're definitely making themselves their own industry and having um, uh, cementing their own voice in the film world, 100%. Yeah. Um, I really liked your balanced perspective on the old uh, versus the new when it comes to Kung Fu films as well, in terms of story and character versus uh, technology and effects. Um, and Shogun Assassin in 1980 was a real meeting of these two worlds, yeah? Because uh, you had two films uh, that were edited together like doing a remix of a track, <laughs> almost a hip hop oh, yeah. track of it, almost a hip hop track of a movie, if you will. Dubbed that's a great into, way. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, that's a great you. way of putting it. Um, mm-hmm. Dubbed with English voices uh, to create new dialogue um, to basically remix the story that way, as well as the visuals. So you have two films coming together to create a third film. Um, what did you think, just your general thoughts to start, what did you think of this marriage between the old and the new, this remix way of doing cinema? Well, first I want to say that on that whole point, 
for a long time, people didn't know any of that background or those details. You know, for for years, Shogun Assassin was Shogun Assassin, and it stood as its okay. own movie. Yep. Nobody knew. Nobody knew any anything different, anything else. You know, um, there's actually six movies that were originally made, um, and that's uh, directed by uh, Kenji Masumi. Okay, and mm -hmm. and six movies to tell the, the full story of Lone Wolf and Cub. Uh, but you know, yeah, you, you you did that beautifully. They used two movies to create Shogun Assassin, but nobody knew that forever. So I. I want to say just quickly that I, I like talking about all that stuff, but I feel like a lot of people speak on it now. And, you know, it's easy to be an authority on that stuff now when we have, you know, Google, we have all these resources to tell us. But for, for even myself, I want to say, like, for years, I, I had no idea. I had when I was I was a young boy when that came out. Okay. By the, you know, when I saw it, when I first saw it, I was a teenager. You know, I was probably 14 or 15 when I first saw it. And, um, you know, I didn't know any of that stuff, man. I didn't know any of that background, but, you know, to answer, to answer that, um, I feel like, I feel like overall, um, so, so basically Robert Houston is the new director who bought the rights to the six movies for North, the North American market, he redid the first two to create Shogun Assassin. And I, I mean, it, it's great. It's great. Let's face it, it's great. Um, but you know, if, if to really answer that question, I feel like I, if he was going to take all the liberties that he did take, I, I feel like he could have done some things a little better. Uh, definitely uh, resolving the story at, towards the end, something a little more. Sure. Sure. You know, I, I don't. I don't need everything explained to me at the end of a movie. Okay. Don't get me wrong, but. Yeah. Um, it, the movie overall sort of has a meandering kind of vibe. It does. To it. it does. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Like a lot of, a lot of it in my mind is, is it's just kind of going from scene to scene, fight to fight. Um, and it's great. It's great. You know, but, but, you know, it, I think that would be my big criticism of it. You know, he had, he had access to all six movies and he, he knew the whole story, um, which by the way, for anybody watching that might not know, it, it actually began as um, a, 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 I want to I say graphic novel, but what they call uh, ma manga, yeah. you know, in Japan uh, in the 70s. Uh, so Lone Wolf and Cub. Um, and, and then it was turned into uh, six movies. And then Robert Houston took the first two and created Jogan Assassin. But I think overall, um, there's so much there, it, like visually, like to me, regardless of the soundtrack, which is great, and the the, mm -hmm. the dialogue, which you know, like everything is visual with uh, Shogun Assassin, you know, um, and I don't just mean cutting limbs off and blood squirting everywhere. I mean just I I find just the character of Lone Wolf like there's just something about him like like. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's mesmerizing to watch on screen like he's got yeah. some there's a you know what i mean there's an attract yeah. attraction about that that actor that character and um i i feel like just the whole thing is visually and on that i i think in my mind i feel like that's what houston really was going for he he knew it so he used he, i think he made more of a visual 
uh, movie than he did worrying about the script, resolving the story and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but again, I'm not like a film expert, but um, that, that's kind of my take on it. What'd you, what did you think, Gene? Uh, no, that's beautifully put. Um, okay, my history with the film, this is interesting from what you were saying. Oh, okay. You saw it around 14 to 15 years old. I was about 20 to 25. I was a fan of uh, Liquid Swords by the Jizza, uh, which I know you're a big fan of as well, that particular album. And of course, uh, Rizza being the producer, he liberally sampled Shogun Assassin, like straight voice samples, voice sections, whole sections of the film, dialogue sections, straight lifted and put into the album, yeah? A uh, friend of mine, we were both, you know, he was my friend at university, would share hip hop records with, have you checked this here? Are you hip to this? Uh, he knew, he discovered that I was into Liquid Swords and he goes, do you know where these samples came come from? No, no idea, some old movie. Uh, and he goes, sort of. <laughs> and then he sat me down one night after some, um, you know, some nice uh, herbal medicine, shall we say, and watched it and just was going, I just went, what the hell is this? <laughs> I was highly amused um, and also taken aback as well, like highly amused because a lot of it is very funny as well, um, but taken aback because the cinematography in this is quite stunning. It is quite beautifully done. The arterial blood spray is fantastic. Uh, you can see where Quentin Tarantino got his arterial blood spray for Kill Bill without a doubt. I'm sure he will admit to that because uh, that is the sleepy time movie that Beatrix Kiddo and her uh, daughter watch uh, <laughs> in Bill's house at the end of volume two. Straight out homage, uh, paying reference, uh, paying credence there. Um, so the arterial blood spray was fantastic. You couldn't deny it. And also just marking out, ah, there's that sample. There's that sample. There's that sample. Realizing it's the narrated by a young kid, so to speak. It's the voice of Daigoro, uh, Ogami, Shogun Assassin's uh, cub, Lone Wolf's son. Yeah, um, I thought that was fantastic when you actually see Daigoro because um, Ogami was really good, but so was the young, so was the young actor as well. Do you remember the, I seem to, for whatever reason, taking notes, I put the voice actor down for, uh, for Ogami, uh, who was uh, voiced by Lamont Johnson. That's the American. What was the, uh, who's the Japanese chap who played him? Oh, um. If you want to look on your phone, <laughs> apologies, Sinise, but um, I've got Daigoro I, here. I, I, yeah, I, I have to apologize too. Like, I've got my phone. Uh, oh, that's right. I've got my phone here. Phone I'll do that. Um, yeah, sorry about that, Gene. No, yeah, that's I'm all not, good. I'm not, uh, and this is where, like, you know, I, 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 I'm a fan, but I'm, I don't have all the details just at will in my head either, right? But right. um, I've got, I've got yeah, it on the page. You go ahead and look. Yeah, the, the narration is, um, I mean, next to the music is probably the single biggest um, yeah. awesome thing that they did with that movie to, to give it um, just a vibe, you know, give it a mood, uh, that whole narrative. And the originals uh, didn't have a narration, you know, that that's a big uh, change that Houston made that um, definitely helps to make it the classic that it is, right? That we know. Yes, that. yes, I agree. I agree. Um, and just on the narration there. Now, Daigoro, the young boy, is played by 
mm, pronunciation as always with these foreign names here. You can Give help me go. out here, Jim, perhaps. Uh, Akihiro Tomikawa. Is oh, always... that was beautiful. That was it? Okay. That was beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah that <laughs> was great, you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, voiced by, uh, I'll probably get the English name wrong here, Gibran, G-I-B-R-A-N, uh, Gibran Gibran Evans. He is the uh, son of Jim Evans, who did the original poster art. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, he, he voiced uh, Daigoro. Um, okay. Now, Lone Wolf or Ogami Ito, uh, he is uh, played by Tommy Saburo Wakayama. Very good. Okay. <laughs> that was great. Um, that was great. You know, you're talking about how he was mesmerizing to watch. He was a mesmerizing figure. And I think part of that was because he seemed largely mesmerized the whole time. He had this thousand mile stare about him, like understated to a T, but you could feel his whole, oh, I've got to do this now. I've got to look after this kid. I've got to go kill these people. I've got to walk another thousand miles to get to this place, to fill out this job, to kill this other person that I'm employed to do. Um, this podcast that I was listening to called Second Features Shout Out, where I got a bit of information from, uh, the female podcaster host, she explained it like uh, the a thousand mile stare of a newborn uh, father of a newborn yeah who ah. has yeah who hasn't had sleep for two years the hair's disheveled <laughs> but that determination i will keep going i will keep going yeah i mean uh, yeah it, it it helps to understand a little bit about just um you know um the fact that he the character, like there's there's a little bit of discrepancy about like the biggest question a lot of people ask about Shogun Assassin that can't be answered is when when does Shogun Assassin take place? Like when what year is it supposed to be? Sure. Yes, please. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people think they say it's from the uh, what they call the Edo mm -hmm. uh, period, which uh, would have been like, say, um, it would have been like six, 1600s to um, eighteen to the eighteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds. Yep. That's what I have. Yep. Yeah, basically until till modern Japan, you know. Sure. Um, but you know, like just briefly, I don't want to get too much into Japanese history, but I mean, Japanese history is wildly interesting. Yeah. But um, so he he in the movie he we know he's the shogun's uh, executioner, right? We're told mm -hmm. that. So. Who, who's the shogun's executioner, you know? Well, I mean, he would have been like almost one of the highest ranking, most trusted people to the shogun. And to get into that position, I mean, these guys spent their lives uh, at war. Only until the Edo period did uh, Japan start to know peace. Un up until that point, which I would assume this would have been early Edo period. A guy like I see him as I see him as having spent his life at war, and the Edo period starts and there's peace. So he's known some peace, but I feel like he's got this background. Like he's probably you know he's killed like countless yeah, people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's absolutely. how I see him. Yeah, and I agree. um, but the the shogun's executioner what he actually would have done. So you think of an executioner, you think of a guy hanging someone in a gallow or whatever, but actually 
with Japan's culture being what it is, so highly, uh, everything's about honor. You know, I mean, back back then, if if the emperor or a shogun wanted someone dead, all they would have to do is ask them. They wouldn't have with a lot of these guys. They wouldn't have to go to war with them. They would just tell them, uh, "You've dishonored yourself. You've shamed your house," and they would just kill themselves, man, out of out of you know dishonor, like you know shame. So what would happen is, in 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 those situations, the shogun would send his executioner, and basically the executioner would witness the the hairy carry of of this person, like you know, taking a big knife and uh, uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Yeah. A big yeah. tenant yeah. blade. Yeah. <laughs> it. yeah. And and rather than allowing them to, to die with all that agony and pain, the executioner um, basically as a thank you would just yeah, chop their head off and relieve them of, of a horrible death, you know? That uh-huh. was probably that was probably the biggest role the executioner would have played. That exact type of execution. Huh. Um, I'm sure I'm sure they would have done some other stuff too, right? But but um, it was very ceremonial, you know. It was very it was very planned planned out, you know. Okay, huh. come on, come to the castle. I'm going to kill myself on this day, you know that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, um, that's it. Was almost doing a service. It was almost an act of benevolence. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about yeah. that angle. I hadn't considered that. And, um, and then, yeah, I just want to make one other point, just about samurai in general, hmm. and say they say to the two hundred years or three two hundred leading up to the Edo period, were were this time in Japan of just nonstop war. Feudal, feudal conflicts, territorial conflicts between what were known as daimyo, who were like clan leaders, mm-hmm. you know, samurai, highest ranking samurai. And basically it was, they would fight for territory, you know, and, and clan and, and for that prestige of your clan, you know. And um, these guys, I mean, there was one fella in particular, his name was... Um, um, Nobunaga, Oda Nobunaga. And he was one of the first to move everything to what ended up arriving at the Edo period. This guy was relentless. He was, this is what I mean, this is what the point I'm trying to make is how cold and awful these guys were in, in, in battle, in war, in strategy. They would, they would if, a, if a village defied you, they would go in and they would wipe out the whole village they would kill women children they didn't care and um horrible horrible deaths to people um it was a really awful time there man and uh these guys like our character lone wolf i mean in my mind this is this guy would have been the coldest type of guy you know um he would have seen death probably through his whole life it wouldn't think, you know, kill at will, doesn't think twice about it. And, um, you know, like the scene with the ball and the sword, yep. the classic the classic scene, I mean, that's kind of messed up if you think about it. I mean, A little bit. <laughs> A little bit. What, what's the movie look like if he chose the sword, man? Mm. Or uh, the ball, rather. You know, mm. like, he would have killed his kid. I mean, like that, that to me kind of shows you exactly what you're looking at. 
now he's a, he would be driven by his sense of honor and loyalty, but I mean, you know, pretty brutal, uh, brutal sense of that, I think. Yeah, okay, no, that's an interesting point. Um, yeah, because I guess you could look at it two different ways. So you see the character of uh, Lone Wolf Ogami. Uh, you could see him as a loving father, but you could see also see him as that uh, someone who has to be cold because of the traditional role he has to play out. Um, I think it more leans more heavily towards like he's like an anti-hero almost for because he goes against the Shogun. He goes against tradition. Um, to prove uh to uh well there's also the revenge factor because they killed his wife of course uh but he does you know like as he goes on he does become more protective of his son perhaps as well and it does show that the shogun you know his brain is infected by devils and that sort of thing and the portrayal of the shogun is just like a like a complete madman absolutely um and I mean, imagine being being that type of character doing that back in feudal Japan, even in the Edo era, era I imagine, uh, would have been unheard of. But th another interesting element to throw into this uh, this angle, uh, did you know that the stories of the manga and films, they were inspired by tales told of uh, Miyamoto Mus uh, Musashi? a real historical persona who uh, evolved into a folk hero. Uh, he was considered uh, the Kensai, which are uh, sword saint of early 17th century, uh, like the ultimate samurai, basically, yeah? God, no idea, wow. No, that's so amazing. May, may, I didn't go deep dive into the or, um, to the folk tale itself, but maybe he was someone who did go up against uh, the shogun, the shogun at that point, whoever that shogun was, that sort of thing, um, to almost be like a John Wick style of samurai, <laughs> almost at that, because he is a ronin. Um, it's important to point out, uh, point out, lone wolf he is without a master, samurai without a master in this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Does the, no, did the original, does the original six films? Do I mean, I imagine they pad this, the character, they they evolve the character of lone wolf Agami out a lot more. Yeah, yeah. But I, I also feel like, look, the 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 original six were made for a Japanese uh, market, and. There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot that's just understood when they watch a movie like that about their own history and culture, things that we don't know. So, you know, sure. things, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. So, yeah. yeah, like it's different for us to watch it. And then, of course, they, they, they tend, even with all six movies, they, they don't develop their characters like we do with Hollywood necessarily. You okay. know, like a lot okay, of the time in Hollywood... You know what I mean? Like they'll want to give you a certain background. They want you to identify a certain way with the character. But I mean, even with, with the remake with Shogun Assassin, I mean, there, there's none of that. You know, it's like it's like you just you just come into this point in this guy's life, into this samurai's life, and uh, you're 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 on for the, the ride now. And you're wondering, like, who is this guy? Like the even with the narration giving you the backstory. I mean, we get his sense of purpose, but you don't know who he is or, or what, 
what where he's been before all that you know that's why i like uh knowing that little bit of background about the history kind of gives you an idea as to like who we might be you know outside yeah, of what we're just seeing yeah and we're we're also seeing the character uh, we've got to remember the the manga take on it all as well to have a uh, look through a manga lens at as as well because as you pointed out before it did start off as a manga series in the 1970s before becoming the six films now this manga series lone wolf and cub was created by the writer kazuo koike and the artist goseki kojima uh who also did lady snowblood oh i'm sure okay. have you seen lady snowblood actually it's not it's it's a name I know, but nothing that I've I'm, I've think, taken the time to familiarize myself with. I would definitely recommend a person like yourself with your taste to definitely watch Lady Snowblood, and Lady okay. Snowblood. Uh, okay, like we remember. Um, I won't try to remember uh, Lucy Liu's character from Kill Bill, but everyone knows who I mean. Who I mean? Uh, when yeah. or, uh, Beatrix, or an Ishii. Thank Sorry, you. or an Ishii. Yeah. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. Now, when Beatrix faces off against her uh, in the House of Leaves, Beatrix gets rid of all the droogies, all the crazy 88s, all that sort of thing. Your limbs are still mine. <laughs> that brilliant, brilliant scene. Um, yeah. And they go outside of the House of Leaves to the snow. That's straight Lady Snowblood. They're the final confrontation scene in Lady Snowblood. Lady okay. Snowblood is basically a vengeance film uh, where she goes and reaps revenge and kills those who killed her parents when they were young. Yeah. Oh, well, that's and, the whole. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but that's the whole Orinishi uh, story, isn't it? It so is. he took the whole thing yes. then, didn't he? Yes, okay. yes, he yes, it. yes. So Orinishi is Lady Snowblood. Absolutely. Wow. Okay, okay. Um, Great. And even when you see the cinematography and the setting, the art design and the snow as well, and there's the water fountain doing it, the I can't do the wooden sound, but you know what I'm trying to emulate there. Yeah. Um, and Lady Snowblood is, uh, she is a creature of vengeance in feudal Japan, like Lone Wolf, Lone Wolf, like Ogami. So it's coming through a reinterpretation of Japanese history through a manga lens, filtered down into these films, be it the traditional Lone Wolf Cub series or remixed and repackaged for an American audience. If that makes sense? Oh, yeah. Here's a message from the devil here stuff that i've missed over the years or or that i'm not 100 familiar with um like i'm definitely not a, a full authority on everything and i'd also say too that um my my uh, focus has been more with kung fu over the years like 
samurai and stuff is definitely something I love, mm. but I'm not, mm. there's, mm. there's a lot of holes mm. in my collection and in what I need to see uh, for sure. Lady Snowblood sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah you'd love it. You'd... Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I'll, I'll be checking that out for sure. Um, um, you know, sorry, I just want to say one thing quick. You, you were talking, I know you want to get back onto the movie. Um, but you were talking about like the small details in that fight scene. And earlier we were talking about technology and the modern movies. And I would say one thing that I love with, with modern movies that that's done now is the detail and sound of the clothing when they fight. Mm -hmm. So, so you might have someone spinning around with a, doing a sword move and they'll capture the sound of their cape moving yeah. through the wind. Um, yeah. I love that. Oh man, yeah. I, I live for that stuff. I live yeah. for the, and of course with the 5.1 surround they have now, yeah. I mean, it's just beautifully done. Absolutely. Yeah. To get that immersive experience. Absolutely. You can hear the shuffling of the slippers as the, 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 the female ninjas are shuffling along in their, in their kimonos and whatnot. Because yeah. um, imagine with um, Supreme Ninja and her ninjets <laughs> yeah. from Shogun Assassin, if you could have heard the shuffling and the kimonos and that sort of thing. What did you think of that scene? Um, what, what did you I mean, think of the Supreme Ninja voiced by Sarah Bernhardt? that's how you say a name um yeah what did you think about that that uh that whole scenario well, you, you were talking about uh comedy or you know yeah. funny funny parts i mean it's funny overall it's hilarious i mean to me the funniest thing is you know when the child when she challenges you know the the when the when those guys originally are in the room and you know they question the uh power of these ladies and she says try and escape the room try and leave the room and you know it's, bring me your it's, best it's, man your best ninja yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right with your best man and 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 now escape the room i mean it's ridiculous there's like eight, what eight of eight of these ladies all with swords and stuff it's i mean it's kind of ridiculous but but honestly how hilarious is it you know what it reminds me of uh gene is uh monty python you know mm -hmm. the knights who mm -hmm. say neek um, yep. Remember, remember the guy. <laughs> yep. He's all cut up, you know, and he's he's basically like a torso, you know. Come back here! I'm not done with you. I mean, yep. the guy gets all chopped up. I mean, it was hilarious. But but um, I also think that they he uh, Houston knew it was hilarious, and he edited yeah. it that way because her laugh, her laugh, I love that laugh. <laughs> her laugh is the best. Yeah, like total like mix. It's like insanity mixed with authority, you know um she was yeah. she's a great character but that scene um i think it's actually what what's most enjoyable about the movie it it, it has a bit of fun you know um but the action uh, aspect of it you can't take any of that seriously either right you know like earlier in the movie when uh lone wolf has to fight the shogun's son son mm -hmm. son number one mm -hmm. um that scene as far as the action goes is uh like uh, i don't want beautiful i don't know what the right word is yeah, like yeah. the shot that you know the, the panorama yeah of the of where they are in the field yeah. and how he how he runs with the sword and yeah. i mean that's that that is uh art art inside of uh action you know Absolutely. martial art whatever Absolutely. but but you know like i feel like the 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 scene that we're talking about now with the supreme ninja 
is more humor, you know, than anything else, right? What do you think about it? And I do yeah. think that um, Robert Houston and uh, David Weissman was the other director as well. Um, they definitely wanted to bring in a comic element because they wanted to bridge the gap between young and old, traditional and modern Japan and America. So they knew they wanted to have kick-ass action. They wanted to have beautiful cinematography, but humor was also important as well. Um, basically to punctuate the meandering as well, because I understand the meandering because that's a lot what Lone Wolf does do. He wanders and he looks out wistfully into the sunset for about 10 hours. <laughs> that sort of thing. That's part of his Character, but they wanted to make it for the modern audience and the humor is a big part of it. Another scene where they really bring in that humor is where she jumps backwards out of her kimono into her bodysuit and then just runs backwards over the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very Monty Python-esque again, very um, John Cleese, Holy Grail, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. I might have forgotten about that. Oh yeah, yeah man, that's that hilarious. Amazing. After the yeah. ninjets do the spiraling 1970s Cirque yeah. du Soleil will distract you and hypnotize you with our colors. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Um, um, after so, you. Oh, so I'm just just popped in my head. One scene that I felt was really um, kind of creepy, kind of weird and off, okay, I know off, you, yeah. like off putting. Go you already it. know. Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's the scene where it's Lone Wolf, his son, and um, actually, is it the Supreme? Is it the Supreme Ninja that's with them at that point? Yeah, I that's her. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's her. her right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and you know, basically, he starts roughhousing her, like telling her to like take her clothes off and stuff. Yeah. And and I'll tell you, man, there's there's I don't care about. Like when people first saw this, there's no like, like, oh, people in the 80s would have been like, oh, whatever. No, man. Like, no matter how you look at that, it, it looks like he's setting up to rape her. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, dude. I mean, how else can you look at it? She's crying. You know, like yeah. she, she's, she looks like she's sensing it's coming. She's scared. Yeah. 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 Very uncomfortable. Very yeah. uncomfortable. And I, I don't understand why Houston... Uh, like to me that whole scene should okay. have just been cut so what do okay, you know anything you. about that about uh, why that was left in i don't know why it was say executed in that way the scene because just to carry on that thought and tie it off as well yeah. what he actually does is he says to her that the fire has gone out and we will freeze to death with our body warmth so that's why I stripped you naked and I'm naked and now my son's naked and we're going to sit in a little uh, <laughs> yeah. flesh turns out, pool here. <laughs> yeah, it turns out it's actually the most loving thing he could have done. You know, that's what's funny. It, it ends yeah. up, you're supposed to feel that it's like tender, you know, yes. it's like, well, hang on a sec, you know. Yeah. yeah, but you could have said that at the start. <laughs> there is that uh, yeah. element to it. Yeah, so yeah. it was very confusing and confronting at the start. And then uh, I guess that's okay, but why didn't you just say that? So it was confusing overall. That is a good segue into this is one of the video nasties. Yeah. But, um, I'm not sure how hip you are with the video nasty list from uh, England in the 1980s. Uh, oh. It's a whole deal about censorship in the UK, but it's basically films that weren't classified. Yeah. 
They didn't have ratings on them. This is related to uh, grindhouse and exploitation as well, because this was produced and distributed by Roger Corman, who's the old school, you know, king of uh, grindhouse and exploitation films in America back in the day. That's how it came to America. Um, but in England, you had the video Nasties. You had this list. I think it's about 80 or so films, 70 or so films that were without classification um, and going through grindhouse theatres, a lot of drive-in, uh, you know, cinemas, that sort of thing. These films could be shown until the English Parliament went, ah, no, these films are a bit too messed up. They're corrupting our youth, etc. They're going to be put on this list. And if you own them or show them, you could be prosecuted. Yeah. Um, potentially spend time in jail. I'm not sure if people spend time in jail, but there were court cases about this sort of thing, absolutely. This is under section three. This is on list, which was, uh, this is on section three of that list where you couldn't be prosecuted for owning this film. Not sure about the showing of it because it was banned for a while as well. That's why you see on the poster banned since 1983 and for a lot of the 80s and varying degrees and levels, depending on where you were, how it was shown, etc. It was banned. Um, that, uh, so, uh, sorry, it's on section three where you could be, you couldn't be prosecuted, but it could be seized. Yeah, this film could be seized. Now, I'm not sure if this was part of Houston and Wiseman's thinking to add in these elements. So it, uh, because Roger Corman was all about these elements as well, because that's what his type of audience was wanted as well. So to get it shown in America, when it was on the video nasty list, but get it in the UK, get it shown in America through Roger Corman's grindhouse exploitation channels to have these type of elements in it, because this is what the audience wanted. Does that make sense? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, something I, I wasn't aware of at all. It reminds me a lot of, um, I don't, I don't remember. I think it had a name attributed to it, but in the eighties in the U S with Tipper Gore and that whole musical, uh, that music list of, of songs that were, I think they, they had five songs or albums that they had uh, said, you know, and it was like Prince you know, mm -hmm. Twisted Sister, I don't know. You know, The Satanic like, Panic was mixed up in that yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was part of that. Was So um, in the 80s in England, would that have been uh, Thatcher? Would that have been Thatcher? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, you know what? So, that says it all, really, doesn't it? Yeah. In terms of corrupting the youth. Da, 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 da. I mean, some of these films are extreme. Um, I, I haven't done a deep dive into video nasties either. Um, but it's the whole thinking about how Clockwork Orange was banned for so many years in various places around the world and in Australia up until 2000. Uh, Clockwork Orange is an extreme film, but it has important things to say. A lot of these films, even though they are B-grade and they have extreme moments, they still have important things to say and aren't necessarily that bad either. You know what I mean? It's just the political dominant ideology um, telling us how we can live and what and how to think. Yeah. Um, but I'm not disregarding the fact that that scene is kind of a bit kind of uh, <laughs> with yeah. Ogami and Master Ninja and Daigoro there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think maybe he presented it at the start going, yeah, here's a little bit of kind of sexual kind of extremity at the start, but we're not actually like that. No, he's actually a nice guy. We will kind of, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. I may, yeah. I'm speaking. It's like, 
It's like fooled you, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it, but regardless, it just doesn't, it has a weird feel to it. And it does have it a kinda, weird feel. Yeah, and it doesn't it's, help the movie at all. It's it doesn't help weird. the movie, no. No, just no. a weird scene. But, you know, yeah. like, I, I feel like um, just o- overall, overall, you know, what you've got with, with Shogun Assassin is really a collection of uh, fight scenes, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's really like a pastiche of, of all this action. Pastiche and is a p- perfect way to put it, yeah. Yeah, it, it's like our hodgepodge, whatever you want to call it, right? And mm-hmm. and um, even even the, the, the final scene, like I was saying at the beginning of our talk, you know, it um, doesn't really close off the story very well. You know, it just kind of finishes at the end. Um, I guess we assume whatever we want to assume. Um, sorry, I got um, my dog barking. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. Um, just with the, the just with the ending. Okay. Um, so we're not do, we're not doing a walkthrough at the moment, there, Sinise. I don't know if I want to do walkthroughs at the moment uh, for Cinema Salon in general. If you want walkthroughs, go check out my other pod, Man Bites Pod. Shout out, Reverend and Commander. Go listen to No One Likes Us podcast as well. If you want full walkthroughs breakdowns, go check out them. Um, so this is a bit of a spoiler for the very last. So three, two, one. Uh, the whole bit with like um, the whole uh, I've always imagined that well, I, this is paraphrasing what the sound is like that oh, um, no, when a neck is split and the blood gushing out is like uh, you know flowing in the wind but to hear it to have it happen to myself <laughs> is just ridiculous yeah, and then that's yeah. pretty much it that he walks off and then died at the Godo saying um well i wish it could be different but a wish is just a wish end movie <laughs> yeah yeah and that final that final um oh you know and and i should say like with with a walkthrough i'm assuming when you say walkthrough you're talking about tackling like scene for scene the whole movie well you go you through know, the whole you? synopsis you go through you go through scene by scene through the whole movie yeah I mean, I mean, that's, that sounds great. And I think for maybe for Zatoichi, that might be a good way to approach it. But I feel like with this movie, um, it's already been done a million times. And yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of people have seen the movie. So yeah, yeah. I feel like um, if you do that, it's just like another episode, like you're better, we're best just to sit here and chat like we are. And anybody so. that likes the movie, you know, they, they'd probably be uh, wanting to hear what we have to say because, yeah, I think that it's the walkthrough bits already kind of been done. But back to yeah. what we were saying about the end. Yeah, so just um, quickly, though, um, I'll oh. figure out I'll figure out how to do some sort of hand signal or I'll say something, some sort of sound, so you know spoilers are over there. Figuring it out as I go along there, listeners, viewers. Bear with me. Take it away, Chad. Okay. That's a good point. I never, I mean, it doesn't occur to me that someone may not have seen Shogun Assassin, but I guess there's a lot of people out there that, that haven't. Um, um, it's on the Criterion Collection. Uh, if you want to see it today, it's very hard. That's the only streaming service I found it on. Even finding this business on DVD or Blu-ray is difficult. VHS, forget about it. You're not going to find the Vipco VHS uh, strong and uncut version anymore. Um so that's where you can see a criterion also has a as a week long or two week long free trial as well so get on it back to you Jim. yeah 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 criterion's a great option um but yeah just that that final scene um 
I love how talking about visuals, you know, where the uh, the three wise men or you know the three like uh, supreme warrior guys they ah, come up uh, the right? masters Remember of death. <laughs> yes, the masters of death. Thank you, and um, and the kids just like you know over yeah. there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he just points, and then yeah. there's lone wolf just with the wind yeah. all perfectly <laughs> blowing his robe and everything. You know, it was beautiful, man. That's magnificent. That, Oh yeah, like yeah. Uh, th those. I mean, that's the thing. Like those type of scenes and um, the just how amazing they make you feel and how fun they are to watch, kind of make up for all the uh, missteps they they made during the movie, like that scene we were talking about, um, and any others that are kind of handled yeah. kind of odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. um, just touching on the masters of death, because I don't want to. Um, I do want to emphasize how influential this film is because it brought this whole kind of style of filmmaking and genre, whatever you want to call it, to the West as well in 1980. Masters of Death, if you look at the three storms in Big John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, I would put money on it. That's the visuals with the hats, the three different types of weapons that the three storms have as opposed to not quite the same, but the um, Masters of Death Shogun Assassin, they've got three distinct types of weapons, blades, etc. Um, we've talked about Kill Bill, of course, certainly with the arterial blood spray, absolutely showing the move, Beatrix showing the movie to her daughter at the end of volume two, and also the goddamn The Mandalorian. And John Favreau has admitted on um, extras on Disney Plus, whatever, yeah. Yeah, a lot of it lifted straight from Shogun Assassin because you even have young baby Yoda or what was its name? Gibberu, Jibberu, whatever they call baby Yoda oh, officially. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's something like Giru or yeah. Giru, I like think that. it is. But you have it's his floating like cart. You have Dogoro's floating cart, but it's just a space age version of Dogoro's uh, Do Do cart. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in shape even when you, when you yes. think about it. You know? Yes, I, 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 I didn't put any connections to Mandalorian, to be honest. So that that's interesting. That's really I didn't, interesting. I, I didn't until I heard a shout out again for second features for pointing that out. And you think of uh, um, uh, the Mandalorian being the Ronin style bounty hunter that he is in the scenario and the story and the setup for the Mandalorian as well. It's straight lone wolf and cup in the future in space, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I mean, especially uh, with how they handled kind of like what I was saying earlier about you don't really know anything about Mandalorian for for mm -hmm. I mean, most of the first season. Anyway, I think we don't hardly get any background on him. You know, you, you get little yeah. bits that you kind of have to put together. I think when when he visits uh, his home planet or, or we see like a scene where where, um, you know, the religious council, like he goes to get the the remember he takes the medal to that yeah, that's priestess right. that's and, right yeah you know, there's some there's some stuff like that that informs us a little but yeah he's very mysterious and and mm -hmm. you're right that that is a lot like lone wolf isn't it yeah you know, absolutely one, one thing i wanted to to point out too that we, we kind of didn't talk about and if you watch the original six or the mangas you would get a better sense of it but they kind of didn't really focus it in shogun assassin is his sword so okay. go for it. and yeah. and really in in samurai film in general 
just the idea that the sword itself is is a powerful entity that when when wielded correctly you know when you watch the movie you see a lot of scenes where his sword just you know will cut through someone else's sword or you know it's it's i mean he's chopping people in half you know with his sword like the the idea that how of how powerful his sword is and in his hands because he is supremely masterful the sword is like unbeatable you know and i don't think we get a sense of that in in um shogun assassin they don't focus on it but if you watch the movie back and you think about you consider that and you watch just how powerful the sword is compared to all the other swords that you're encountering you'll see that his is dominant dominant in every situation absolutely now with yeah, that as well, that's yeah. a good thing to point out because, as you mentioned as well, like um, when I was talking about you know your knowledge and love of kung fu movies, I know this it extends out to do samurai films as well. I imagine if you like one, you're going to appreciate the other, and vice versa. Um, uh, Rita, as I put on the Gimmick Gang uh, group. Uh, that link showing the 10 movies that he's sampled, Kung Fu movies that he's sampled, he has also sampled Shogun Assassin, of course, Liquid Swords, as I mentioned earlier. Um, now, why he chose the samples for Jizza, uh, for his album, was the, with, uh, in the Kung Fu movies, there's a lot of, you know, chop, 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 be it with a weapon or the weapons of the arms and the fists. In Japanese samurai movies where focus is on the sword play specifically, there's not chop, 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 there is chop, dead, chop, dead, definitive blows. And of course, the liquid swords being the tongue in the Wu-Tang Clan, whenever just spits a bar, opponent chopped dead yeah that's specifically why he chose uh to sample this movie for the jitter the shogun assassin and um japanese samurai four movies are very much yes i can see that definitely and when you see the choreography and the fight scenes as well and i love the way that it goes into the dance the choreography of it because it's there's a pause and then it continues so like chop pause and then the body top half of the body drops off the bottom half you know what i mean (laughs) which i absolutely love and kill bill really played on that quentin tarantino really played on that and kill bill in the house of leaves battle volume one kill bill there yeah um Um, there's there's um one of my favorites from out of samurai movie is when um you know who, who our hero whoever will be surrounded by opponents and uh, you know it will be circled around him and he'll and then once he's gone through them all he'll just shake the blood off the sword and they all fall at that moment yes like the timing of it um i love that oh i love that and i think they they did that in kill bill as well i think when she goes um when she's at the crazy 88 or no like the restaurant i forget the name of it I think in there, doesn't she do that? Yeah, the House of Leaves is the name of the restaurant. Yeah, 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 yeah. She does that. She kills a whole circle of them and then and they all fall. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yes, yes. It's a yeah, classic yeah. trope, if you will, yes. of the style of yeah. film making and choreography. And it's not just Kill Bill. We see it in many other examples, definitely. Um, and, um, and speaking of such things, um, 
in terms of uh, that kind of influence, uh, like the focus on the sword as a character unto itself, as you will, as is Beatrix Kiddo's sword from the sword maker in Kill Bill. Um, we're going to talk about I th uh, the producer uh, who played Zatoichi for 26 Zatoichi films and a good portion and, a, and the TV series during the 80s. His name, I do have it down. It is Shintaru. I'll get this the surname in a moment. Um, who yeah. is the brother of the of the actor who played Lone Wolf, who played Ogami Shintaru? Um, I'll get his surname in a moment. That is the Zatoichi from back in the day, who played twenty six okay. of the films. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So I imagine, given his experience as well, playing Zatoichi, the blind, he's blind, isn't he? Yes. Yes. Yep, there yes. Yes. The blind swordsman. He would have wanted yeah. that element, that aspect, to really be conveyed in Shogun Assassin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were talking earlier about you know like a a, a folk hero type of uh, inspiration for uh, lone for Lone Wolf. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, Zatoichi is in itself um, a, a folk tale, a folk hero. You could say for for Japanese culture. Sure. I mean that that's why so much has been. Uh, made uh, of him you know movies tv books uh you name it they they reprise it over and over and over um and that's not that's not unusual i mean you know hollywood does it every you know i think um every every uh movie making culture has their uh characters that they like to revise you know do you got yes. the name yeah i'm not yet <laughs> you can see me looking oh, for sorry. it yeah. Um, whilst I'm doing that, I want to shout out the editor, who is Lee Percy, who worked uh, with Weissman. Uh, who Robert Houston was the main director. Weissman, who was a protege of Andy Warhol as well, worked at the factory with him. Uh, he was brought in uh, to help him out as a creative partner, as an artistic consultant. Uh, Lee Percy worked with Weissman on Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Uh, that was 1985's Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Uh, and he also edited Reanimator and From Beyond, which is uh, two great B-grade horror classics as well. Just those names uh, yeah. alone. You know they're classics just with names like that. They have to be. Kiss Absolutely. of the Spider-Woman. I love it. Um, Frank Miller, yeah, here we go. This because this oh, is where Frank I, this is okay. where I initially came across Lone Wolf and Cub, but it was a distant memory which studying this, researching this film brought back to the uh, to the fore. Uh, Frank so Miller, no, huh? Sin City, Sin City, Frank Miller. Yes, absolutely. Dark wow. Knight, Batman, but uh, oh, Frank wow. Miller. Uh, he provided the cover art for the English uh, English language editions of the original comics published by Dark Horse in the US. Yeah, I remember reading those as a kid. I don't know how I came across them. I was a huge comic nerd as a kid, and I read these back in the day. And I think there was even some sort of uh, adult fiction novella editions of these lone wolf and cub tales as well like i don't remember the source or who the credits behind them I'm pretty sure i remember reading something like that as well um so point being um lone wolf and cub so i think 1972 they initially came out the first one ah 
yes, Sword of Vengeance being the first Lone Wolf movie, and Baby Cart at the River Styx being the second. They, those are these two. Those are the two first ones edited together to create Shogun Assassin. That's important to mention. Uh, but, 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 um, um, how it stands now? Did you know there's a second Shogun Assassin? Shogun Assassin Two. Yeah, I think wasn't there actually two more? Wasn't there a third one as well? I mean, I'm not I sure. Um, I know the second one came out in 2015. I've seen the trailer. It's not available anywhere. Baby Daigoro's cart has some sort of machine gun gimmick <laughs> going on. And there are actually automatic rifles by, you know, ninjas being fired in this business. Of course it does. Yeah. 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 Why not I mean, at that stage? Why not at that stage? Where else are you um, going to go? Yeah. Aronofsky, Darren Aronofsky, Requiem for a Dream, Mother, Pi, you know, uh, the, the wow. art house director. He has talked about making his own version for a while, which I'd be very interested in seeing what he did with it. Um, as has Justin Lin, who did Star Trek Beyond. So again, that could be a whole different angle, a whole different way of looking at it. Uh, Stephen Paul, who produced the live-action Ghost in the Shell movie uh, that was with um, Scarlett Johansson, uh, acquired the rights in 2016 and began to put together a production package. As far as I know, there might be a Shogun Assassin 3. I'm not um, saying you're not correct there. But as far as I know, in 2016, that was... The that was the final, not the final, but the last time we heard of the evolution of Shogun Assassin, if you will. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me just look for that producer because I do want to shout him like, out. I think, um, I mean, it, it's kind of exciting to think of what the, the potential, what they could do now, you know, to make something modern, but yet oh, throwback. Oh, I oh. mean, I'm surprised that um, Tarantino wouldn't be involved in it in some way you know even like as a producer um because you know just just i think he could bring a lot to it just with his knowledge and background and and i feel like tarantino as well um has has limits with cgi and things like that i think he he would bring a lot of uh the old school elements that need to be there um you know tarantino produced a movie called uh, iron monkey I'm not sure okay. if you've, uh, if no. you've seen that. Well, Iron Monkey is another one of those uh, folk stories, folk tales, you know, that goes back in uh, Chinese history, you know. But for this particular, um, basically, it's kind of like a Robin Hood figure, okay, Iron Monkey. And um, for this particular version, I think it was late 90s it came out. Um, but it is excellent if you want okay. like modern action with a great story characters all that stuff we were mm. talking about and tarantino mm. um you know his name was on it he, he was the producer i think he put his money into it yeah uh, sure. but it's primary yeah it's a hong kong production you know okay um, i am piqued my curiosity is peaked certainly what's it called again iron monkey iron, iron monkey yeah yeah okay yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll write that down right now actually um great one for you as far as kung fu goes okay nice nice and yeah. speaking of um tarantino and shogun assassin and the rizza as well as i've pointed out rizza liquid swords rizza scored kill bill tarantino produced 
the man with the iron fist, Riz's Kung Fu movies, just purely to show the evolution of Shogun and how it's expanded out as well. Um, and just curious about your own opinion, if you have seen Man with the Iron Fist, Riz's uh, addition, his contribution to the Kung Fu world, what did you think? I didn't care for it. No? To be, no. To be too honest. Much? I, 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 it just didn't grab me. It okay. just didn't grab me. And um, I, 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 you know, there was just no point where the character, like I cared about the characters or I cared what was going on. And really I felt like I was watching it more because I felt like I had to, you know, it's like, this is the Riz's movie. I want to, I want to yeah, watch it. I want to yeah. see it. Yeah. But it, it didn't take me anywhere. Um, which disappointed the hell out of me, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, you know, what was a good project that I liked that he was involved in was um, the Afro Samurai, which was um, a cartoon. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I know exactly what it is. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. You would probably like it. And he did the soundtrack for that. He was involved mm -hmm. in that. I know that. the Samuel, soundtrack. Yeah. And Samuel L. Jackson voiced uh, Afro Samurai. Okay. Okay. It, it's fun. It's fun. I think you might like it. I I'm like writing that. that one down. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm writing that yeah. one down. Interesting, interesting. Um, but yeah, point overall is you see from Lone Wolf and Cub from 1972 to 1982, um, like to 2016 and beyond, you know, and this has captured people's imaginations. Um, whether you watch it and think this is cheesy and corny or whether you watch it, they think this is pure cinema, cinemagraphic, cinematographic, uh, genius with balletic choreography, fight scenes and whatnot, choreographed fight scenes. Um, yeah, it has had its influence. It's made its mark in cinema overall. Um, as has Zatoichi as well, just um, leading towards tying us off here is where we're going to go in the future with this discussion as well. Um, you had uh, Zatoichi, which was Shintaro Katsu. That was Mr. Uh, Zatoichi back in the day, who is the brother of, uh, who I mentioned at the start of the guy who played Ogami. Um, I said his name before. <laughs> um, what did you, did you, you like? Do we have to rewind that? What did you think of Takeshi Kitano beat Takeshi's uh remake well reinvention revisit of the blind swordsman satoichi what did you think of his version uh, i can't just say general enough about thoughts it. yeah i can't yeah. say enough about it just excellent excellent yeah excellent. yeah yeah excellent. um i think shogun assassin because of shogun assassin people like bitakishi were able to retouch back on satoichi and keep this whole spirit of cinema alive the style of cinema alive and um, and in a future episode, uh, I want to sit down and discuss Takeshi Kitano beat Takeshi's uh, The Blind Swords, Swordsman, Zatoichi, 2003. There, Sinise, if you want to do, uh, get ahead of the episodes, do some homework there. We will discuss it in the future. Um, we are coming up to about, uh, I don't know if it's uh, about an hour and a half, hour 20 now sort of thing. I think we have basically uh, expressed our enthusiasm and the importance of this film. Um, enough there, Chad. Fucking great work. Um, any final thoughts you want to say on Shogun Assassin there before we get to rating and the sin scale? Go for it. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about just the timelessness of the movie and the constant uh, appeal. And I feel like um, even though we don't get 
the full sense of um, of it, I feel like in general with samurai movies, just that uh, sense of someone who lives their life in accordance uh, with honor and loyalty, even even if their code isn't necessarily in line with your own or is steeped in violence or whatever um, flaws it might have. Me personally, that's what I love. It's just um, the idea of these guys, they're willing to live and die by, by their honor, by their loyalty. And I feel like that, that's something that um, will always uh, connect with people. You know, people will always yes. understand that and yes. connect with that. Yeah. Um, and there's a mm. lot to, of commentary that uh, can come from the movie using that, around that, you know. So uh, Shogun Assassin and all those samurai movies definitely have that appeal for me. Um, yeah. Sorry, go and on. I, and I think that speaks to its global appeal because every yeah. human being uh, is pulled towards that, is attracted to the idea and sense of honor. Yeah, within themselves and others. I think you put it. I think you nailed it there. Actually, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything? Anything else you want to say before we get to rating in Sin Scale? No, but Zatoichi, I think it would be a great idea for you and I to do the walkthrough. Um, yeah, okay. I haven't seen. I haven't had too thorough of a look, but I haven't seen much uh, approach to that movie. Maybe, maybe there is a lot out there and I just haven't really looked hard enough, but I feel like we might be, um, we might be putting something out there of use if, uh, if we do that with Zatoichi. It could be, uh, you know what I mean? I think it yeah. would be good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll work out the yeah. crazy um, time difference between us. Sinise, just so you get to know, like, um, you know, the what we've pulled off here. It is eight o'clock in the in the evening. Now this is on a, on a Tuesday night, eight o'clock p.m., what time and day is it there, Chad, in Canada? It's uh, Tuesday, 6 a.m. There you go. So we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had to get up at 4 a.m. in order for yes. us to make this happen. But, like, um, I feel like if uh, the next time, I, I think we'll be able to do something a little more generous. Like, if we can uh, connect on the weekend or whatnot, okay, find cool. a time. You know, so that's a little more in line for both of us. You know, absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, yep, you've been warned. We're going to do a walk through. Get to the movie first. Watch the movie first, so you can relive it through our commentary. Yeah, our disembodied commentary, if you will. Okay, fantastic work. Thank you, Chad. Now, rating scale. How I do it here on the Cinema Salon. Uh, I do it by not stars, not skulls, or anything like that. By Le Fleur de Mals, which are flowers of evil, which trans translates as morbid or scandalous works of art yeah so and now basically you just have to rate it out of seven okay yeah? also relating to the seven sins of cinema as well so okay. that's all said just out of seven for your own personal preference your own how you marked out to this movie your thoughts about the movie in general what do you give it out of seven i would say uh five for me it's mm -hmm. five out of seven yeah. I like that. I think that's fair. And I think I will agree with you there. It's not a perfect film. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. stunning cinema, but for its right. influence and the spirit it embodies and conveys and has helped continue definitely deserves a, a five out of seven. And it is a fun watch at least just once. Check it out there, Sinise. It is a lot of fun. Definitely. Now, here's the uh, interesting part. A uh, little gimmick I've got going for my podcast here. 
Da, 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 da. I went away from the page. Why did I do that? To explain, there are, oh, here we go. There are seven deadly sins. These are the biblical sins, yeah? What I'm doing is a little tally through each film that I cover to see right. which seven sins this particular, uh, any particular film Dennis demonstrates. So we're talking about Shogun Assassins. What seven films does it demonstrate? So we begin with vain glory or pride. Do you feel it demonstrates that sin? Yes. <laughs> Chad is nodding in absolute agreeance there. Okay, so let me just write that down as I go. And I so am familiar with the seven sins. But uh, I'll definitely need you to read them out. But yeah, I think I, could name, okay. I think I could name them all if I had to. Okay, so the second one is greed or covetousness. Um, I don't know. I don't think that's, I don't see that as being um, a theme at all or, or portrayed throughout at all. What, what about, do you think? What about from the Shogun? Well, that's what I mean. Even even from his point of view, what do you what what do you see? Um, I mean, I see a lot of a lot like vengeance and and pride oh, and thousands. But but greed, but greed. I don't know if greed is really a factor here. Do you, well, how do you see greed? Because hmm. it's it's a question of materialism as well. Can greed be immaterial? Oh, I think it can. I think I think greed could could you know, um, yeah. definitely be immaterial, but I, I don't see it uh, focused at all in this movie. It just doesn't, not for me anyway. You don't think the Do lone wolf, it? you don't think the, uh, the Shogun wants lone wolf to bend the knee, yeah, to him? I do, I do, but I don't, I don't see that as, as greed. I see, no, okay. I see that as uh, definitely pride. It's more pride, um, honor, honors yeah. more relating to pride. And that's certainly in the context of, you know, shoguns and samurais in Edo, Japan. Yeah, okay, I agree, I agree. So that's uh, a no on pride. Three, lust. No, wait, that was greed we just did, right? No, but you were up to lust. Number three is lust. Okay. But you just, but, but just previous we did greed. Yes. And then you said no to pride. So we just did greed though, right? Hold on. Number one is this pride. pride. Number, yes, okay, which we said pride, yes greed. to. Okay. Greed, no. Th all good. Three, lust or inordinate or illicit sexual desire. Um, I, I, I think it's there be just because of that scene we spoke yeah. about. Yeah. You know, like there's no denying it. I don't care what, what the final intent was. Yeah, um, okay. That okay. was very sexual. It was a very sexual scene. It can't be denied, even though they yeah. kind of softened it quickly <laughs> afterwards. It was yeah. still there. Yeah. So that's oh, a yes. Time. Yeah. Uh, four, envy. Envy. Um, yeah. I, I feel on the Shogun's part, I feel that I feel that's where the, the root of the issue is, is envy. From yeah. the Shogun. Yeah. Yeah. I think so that's what we're made to believe. If you think about the narration um in the early parts of the movie to me we're we're made to feel that the shogun is um i would say threatened by the by the lone by lone wolf and i i think i i see and i think envy would play into the shogun's feelings you know he I, sees uh yeah sorry 
Yeah. Now you're right, please. Sorry, so I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, no, there is ah, after you. <laughs> after you. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I just think like um, I just think it may, I may be going on a limb here, but I think Envy would play in to part of the Shogun's uh, feelings. I, I just that's just I don't necessarily think it's demonstrated. I can't really say in the movie where it would be demonstrated. That's just how I feel, just from the story that's told. And I think there is envy between the various, uh, you know, the sons of the Shogun, the, um, the samurai clans, the ninjas, the demonstration of who's better at, um, you know, sword play, etc. I think there's definitely envy there. So I do agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great point. You're so right. Yeah. 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 Just between yeah. the different uh, fighters. Yeah. No, the warring factions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, gluttony, which is usually understood to include drunkenness. Um, I, I would say no. I would say no. We're not. We're not seeing a lot of eating. A lot of these movies do have a lot of food. If you've ever noticed, they usually have. Like I know the kung kung fu movies. They're always eating. They're always in restaurants. Okay. okay. But um, yeah. But I didn't. I didn't see any of that for this movie or or drinking really. So I'm going to, I would say no. Am I missing no. something there? No, yeah. you're not. I don't think so. I, and I th I, yeah. I, no, I don't think so. Maybe it is just because in any type of Asian action or any type of Asian film, there is food because it's such a part of the culture shared among large groups, of course, families, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, totally. But there isn't there. And it's certainly not to a ravenous, gluttonous uh, level because that's just not the way things are done, if I can speak generally in china japan and asia culturally in no that's you're, kind you're of totally that's right. that's kind of our thing <laughs> that's yeah. more oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we've mastered that yeah. yeah so that's a no uh to gluttony all right the big one which has uh, it been a common defining sin in the movies that we have covered here on the cinema salon and that is sin number six wrath anger vengeance however you want to put it well I mean that that's the, the premise of the movie, isn't it's it? It's the whole really? impetus, driving factor, premise yeah. of the movie. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I like uh gluttony and drunkenness. I think this is a no. Number seven, sloth. Sloth, yeah. Yeah. Well, sloth is um laziness. Yeah, right? basically. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I would say uh definitely no. I mean, Definitely no. <laughs> everyone, yeah, everyone is properly motivated in this movie yes. yeah. and is uh, doing what they need to do. So, you know, even even the emperor, if you think about, or sorry, the uh, shogun rather, is um, I mean, he's he's wicked old and he's crazy. We're supposed to believe, but I mean, if you think about it, he's popping up all over yeah. the place and he's yes. a pretty active active yeah. guy. Like a lot of the time, these characters are portrayed as guys sitting. On a, on a chair, you know, being fed grapes, just telling everyone else what to do. But the Shogun in this movie, and he's he's popping up, you know, like, yeah. hey man, time to fight. You know, like yeah. that's kind of a, kind of unusual, yeah. kind of different actually uh, for a lot of, okay. for a lot of what you generally see for these movies. Nice. Usually, nice. usually, yeah, usually that guy in that role won't, won't get, won't move. He won't, he, this, he there would be sloth on the part of uh, mm -hmm. the ruler, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's that's a yes. I totally agree. So oh, yeah. uh, from that, uh, we do have pride. We do have lust. We do have wrath and vengeance. 
Um, hold on, I'll, 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 I'll do that again. We have pride, number three. We have lust, number four. We have envy, number six. We have wrath and anger. So we have four out of seven. Not bad. Yep. Yeah, because we do not have greed and we do not have uh, drunkenness. Uh, but, 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 but we don't have sloth. So, yeah, four out of seven. How do, how do um, like, say, I know you watch a lot of horror. So how does a typical horror movie rate with your, with your seven uh, sins? Would it be generally okay. um, six or seven out of seven? Well, it's been interesting uh, here on the Cinema Salon for the Sin Scale. I actually do have it written down here. Um, first episode we did was Cannibal Holocaust. That was five out of seven, yeah? Oh. Episode two, Romper Stomper, the Australian bonehead yeah, uh, movie, seven out of seven. Wow. Uh, episode three, Blue Ruin. I don't know if you know it. It's a revenge film. Only two. Episode oh. four, which was I Saw the Devil, the Korean revenge film, which you must see if you haven't. Absolutely fantastic. Five out of seven uh, since there. So this is kind of mid-range for the five episodes that we've done. Yeah. When we're going from the, two to seven. Mm -hmm. What was that title? Sorry, Gene. Um, I, okay. I Saw the Devil by Kim Ji Woon. Thank you. And he also does a Kung Fu Western movie. Uh, what the hell is it called? Just Google. When you saw, uh, I saw I'll the devil, it. look at, yeah, look at his Kung Fu I'll Western movie. The scale of, the, of that movie is glorious. <laughs> Spectacular. Absolutely. Okay. We've talked well, about great. how far um, and with emerging technologies, how far it's gone. It's like looking at a video game at times. Like, yeah, okay. the level of it is okay. just whoa. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, Chad, Giroux? Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming yeah. on. Certainly so early. I look forward to having you back. Um, yeah. And I want to go back further as well. I want to do your Mifune Sword of Doom. I want to do Akira Kurosawa. And then I want to jump forward to Verses as well. So we kind of started... Uh, back in the day historically then i want to get properly historical um, um uh, we're doing zatoichi next so we're doing that kind of revisit of older styles then go properly historical and then jump right forward to the future with verses yeah um, that's great it's been a pleasure and i think yeah, that uh the that's a wrap on 1980s shogun assassin the doors of the cinema salon are now closed. Fade to black. Life is a horror movie, it's just sin as the cinema. I'm stacking the copies and I'm putting sin in the cinema. Bearing the bad news, serving the slaughter, death will take. Life is a horror movie, it's just sin as the cinema I'm stacking the copies and I'm putting sin in the cinema Bearing the bad news, serving the slaughter Death will take you slow Here's a message from the devil, he ain't playing around I don't want yours Here's a message to the fuckboy, you've been
cinema Burn the bad news Serving the slaughter Death will take you Life is a horror movie It's just sin as the cinema I'm stacking the copies And I'm putting sin in the cinema Burn the bad news Serving the slaughter Death will take you Slow Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.